Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. They call this Fat Tuesday, the day before Wash Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, we are too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, and if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Uh, we are not right versus left. We're right versus wrong, and I am on duty. Terry, what about you? Yes, I'm on duty. The ladies are outside the studio after Holy Mass having their meal together, and uh, we are ready for our Lenten season. We're going to be chatting about Lent, I'm sure, during these six weeks uh, coming up. Hey, Jess, uh, this is an amazing show because we've been wanting to get Alexander Trickle, Shugle, Shugle, for a long, long time. He's the young man who threw the Pachamama image into the Tiber River. Yeah, we've got him on. I hope if we can make the connection in Europe. But I've been wanting this guy because he inspired me, man. I said, man, that's that's taking action. I mean, that was like, <laughs> I, like, man. That, that's the kind of young man I'd like to have on my football, baseball, or soccer team, okay? Someone that you can count on. So we're going to be talking about him and about his latest book and how he's helping people fall deep in love with Jesus and his church and his St. Boniface Institute. I've been a big promoter of that over the last year. But just before we do any of, of that interview, he's coming on. I hope our engineer is getting it right now. Uh, I want to make sure we have the gospel preached today uh, because it is the day before Ash Wednesday, and uh, our line is, let's get some soul food here, brother. Amen. Gospel of St. Mark, Mm -hmm. chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Mm -hmm. Peter began to say to Jesus, we have given up everything and followed you. Jesus said, amen, I say to you, there was no one who has given up house or brother or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now, in this present age. Houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. But many that are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The first part of the of today's Holy Gospel of St. Mark, once again, just like yesterday, he's talking about, our Lord's talking about self-detachment. That's the term that we would use in Catholicism. Penance and mortification. Remember that when you mortify the flesh, this is the way you mortify the spirit. Also, our Lord is saying here, as he's talking about uh, that, that uh, many are first will be last and the last will be first. On earth, the rich and the famous, they seem to be the first for everything. And the poor and the insignificant seem to be the last. Uh, this, wor- this world is ruled by Darwinian evolutionary ethics, which, which means might makes right. But guess what? In the next world, where it really counts because it's for eternity, uh, presidents, senators, congressmen, CEOs, corporate billionaires, they don't have an advantage. If they even make it to heaven, they'll probably be the least in the kingdom of heaven because they, they enjoyed a heavenly-like existence here on earth. But those millions of quiet, humble simple, pious, faithful souls that, guess what? That in this life, they're considered nobodies. 
in heaven, they're going to be great. The tables are going to be completely inverted. That's why, again, our Lord says the last will be first and the first will be last. And that's why the Magnificat says uh, the, the proud will be brought down low and the humble will be exalted. I can't wait till that day, Terry, because, again, there's a lot of injustice in in this world. Uh, 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 you know, we have the Statue of Litur- Liturgy with Lady Justice. Uh, Lady Liberty Justice, uh, people don't always get what they deserve in this lifetime. Sometimes they get away with it, but not in the next. Terry. Engineer, yeah, there you go. Pull me back up. Yeah. Yes, well said. I want to bring the smartest guy into the room right now. And, and I have to tell you, before I do this, I was getting my teeth cleaned yesterday, and the lady that was doing all of her work in my teeth, she happened to be reading Through the Air with Fulton Sheen. And she asked me what I did, and boy, did we get into a conversation, and it was awesome. But she told me that Fulton Sheen is someone she just can't believe that there was a person, because she was rather young, she doesn't remember him, but this is why we keep bringing Fulton Sheen up, because he's a man for our times, even though he doesn't, he didn't live, and he's been dead over 40-some years. So let's, uh, let's see who he's got on the train this time. Let's go full Sheen ahead here with that choo-choo train. And he has a quote about Lent coming up. Here it is. If you're so attached to something that you can't give it away, it means... You're too attached. Put God on the throne of your heart. You know, Jesse, that quote right there made me really realize when, when we're all thinking about what are we going to give up for Lent? Is it going to be the can't? No, it's going to be most of us. I think St. James last week when you were reading from St. James for the, day, for the daily mass readings really nailed it when he talked about our tongue. <laughs> mm. I know for me, man, uh, that would be something that's important to really be careful of, of of saying things that you shouldn't be saying. And I think for Lent, when you give up things, whether it's material things or even the spiritual aspects, maybe getting more prayer time in, saying I'm going to spend an extra 15 minutes of quiet time to really let God uh, speak to me. Because as I said before, so many of the saints say that God speaks to us when we are silent. He doesn't speak to us so much when we're rattling on and talking. So silence, maybe that would be a good thought for all of us to say, I'm going to fast uh, from noise. And maybe even the social media, Jess, that uh, we've all been so attuned to for Lent, uh, limit it to just a certain amount and not get enamored from it. Because right now, <clears throat> with what's going on in the world, I think the time that we spend on that social media might might do better if we were reading scripture or praying our rosary are spending time to deepen our faith. So that's my take on that quote. If you are so attached, Terry, to something you can't give it away, it means you're too attached. Put God on the throne of your heart. Well said. All right, Jess, your thoughts? Terry, I, I like that uh, that spiritual exercise. Yeah. Uh, just fifth, for Lent, yeah. add 15 minutes a day. Yeah. To, for the next 40 days starting tomorrow. That's going to be powerful, and, Jeff. And now, now here's for the men, yeah. okay? I'll, I'll just, I'll go a little bit deeper Good. for the men. Good, And, and this is, this is a, a Father Ripperger a technique <laughs> to, to break uh, uh, men's proclivity yeah. to pornography. Okay. The, here's a good one. 
Father Ripperger, Dr. Dan Schneider, and Kyle Clement, uh, the Liber Cristo team, what they do, uh, uh, men that are, because a lot of men become afflicted as a result of sexual perversion. So what they, they do is tell the, the patients, clients, penitents, they'll tell them, <clears throat> get a crucifix, a very bloody crucifix. Yep, graphic one. Yeah, a graphic one, either a picture or an actual crucifix that's very bloody. Mm-hmm. And stare at it for 15 minutes a day in silence, specifically the feet of Jesus. Wow. Why the, and don't say anything. You could put just Gregorian chant in the background if you want. Put your time clock, look at it for 15 minutes and meditate upon what Christ did for you, specifically at the feet. Why the feet? Remember this story in the Bible, John chapter 8. Mary Magdalene, who was possessed with seven demons, the Bible tells us, when she came down, and what was, how did she become healed? She groveled at the feet of Jesus Christ. And Remember, she groveled at his feet. And so demons remember that event, the way they had a woman possessed with seven demons, and it was her looking and gazing upon the feet of Jesus that set her completely free. This is an ascetical practice that Father Ripperger has penitents that are struggling with sexual sin to gaze upon a bloody crucifix, either a picture or an actual crucifix, maybe put Gregorian chant in the background, very silent, and just look at what Jesus Christ did for you for 15 minutes a day in silence, like Mary Magdalene, and you do that for 40 days, that will break any disordered attractions or appetites you have to pornography. Well said, Jess. We've got Alex Alexander on. So when we come back from the break, we're going to get into his new book. Also, I just want to remind everybody, May 7th is the day for a marriage seminar with Dr. Sandoval, Mary Danielle, and myself. So if you're able to make that seminar, you can go to vmpr.org or call us at 877 877- Five two six two one five, and this will build up your marriage. And let's remind us that St. John Paul II used to say, the way the family goes is the way the culture goes. Strong families, strong cultures. Put your seatbelts on, because when we come back from the break, uh, I'm very inspired by young men who take action with their faith. Spiritual action, and then physical action. And Alexander did just that. And we're going to talk about, this is the young man, just to set you up. He is the one who got on the airplane and went out there and went to Rome to get the wooden idol of the Pachamama and throw it into the Tiber River, he and his friend. And I just think that's awesome. We need more young men like that because that's what's going to continue the church, young men like that who have strong leadership roles in bringing people to Christ. You're listening to The Terry and Jesse Show. On Virgin Most Powerful Radio, I always like to say we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us. Alexander's right with us when we come back, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. <laughs> we have one of the most popular young men right now in the it. Catholic world. Everybody knows who he is. 
Alexander Shugel, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show, my friend. Uh, you've been an inspiration to so many people around the world, and we're happy you're on the broadcast. We have a lot to talk to you about. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. Go ahead, Jess. We're excited. Let me just say this, Alexander. Uh, when I see young guys, I mean, I've been at this for 42 years, in the 1970s, and I was a young person, and I looked out and I said, where is everybody? Why, are, why isn't anybody consecrated to Our Lady and spreading the faith and, and loving the Eucharist? And it was because right after the council, there was a, a dive. Nobody was wanting to practice the faith. And so for 42 years, I've been doing whatever I can to help promote Fulton Sheen and promoting the faith. And then when I heard what you guys did out in Europe with the Pachamama, I said, that's a young man people can follow because he's a leader. And I'm just so happy that you're here because we have some questions about your new book. And also, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself because I don't think uh, here in America people even know much about you, brother. Yeah, let me just let me just say that uh, Alexander Shugel, he's a brave young man yeah. who threw the wooden idol into the Tiber River. He also has founded the St. Boniface Institute, which we'll, we'll talk more about awesome. that. Yeah. And, uh, and and he took the name because St. Boniface was famous for cutting down a German idol as well. So, Alexander, could you <laughs> could you please describe your family and your upbringing? Were you born and raised Catholic? No, actually, I was not. I was born and raised um, as a Christian in, in, in as an Austrian mainly. Mm -hmm. And my family left the Catholic Church and my, when my great grandfather actually uh, left the Catholic Church. In the, as a, because of the war and things going on during the war. And when I converted, I was 15. I came back to the faith with 14 and then had one year of, 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 of finding out what I really want and, and a very good priest and so on. And then when I converted, this was the beginning. Um, it's now already 13, 13 and a half years uh, ago. And since then, my sisters and my parents also converted. So now all of us are Catholic, which is really beautiful. And I'm very happy about this. It's a great grace and, and God's um, visible handwriting here. And yeah, what, what I did is I, I was always quite conservative, I have to say. So I was never a leftist. I was never what we would call a modernist. I always, I always disliked modern architecture and, and ugly modern music. And I, like I knew this. I'd like you. Go ahead, brother. We're with you. So maybe, maybe those things were, were the reason why it was, it was easier for me to yeah. understand certain aspects. And then I got closer and closer to the faith, where I, especially when I discovered traditional mass. I have to say this was two and a half years after my conversion was the time when I really discovered it. But already one year after my conversion was the first traditional mass I've ever went to. I converted when Pope Benedict was Pope. And he was always, uh, for me, a very fantastic example. Obviously, looking at all papacies in detail is never a good idea if you want to like certain popes, except the holy ones, maybe. Yeah. But in general, I have to say uh, he was very solid. And so uh, all the questions I had back then, also about papacy and so on, were very easy for the priests to explain to me, looking at Pope Benedict. And, 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 and so I'm, I was very happy about this. Awesome. Yeah, and then I changed step by step um, because from the beginning of my conversion on, I understood that actually as soon as you convert and you suddenly kneel in front of the Holy uh, uh, Sacrament or you go to confession or you understand certain aspects of the Catholic faith, you obviously want those aspects to be understand, uh, as understood by everyone, yeah. by everyone. So you actually, I think it's kind of impossible to be a convert and not a missionary. So tons of my, my convert friends 
uh, told me exactly the same. So what I did is I tried to find out how to do more things for the Catholic faith. I, I went, to, I tried different things out. So I went to um, a very Catholic conservative student party. And then uh, later I even tried to found an own party in Austria, but not my own party, but I helped someone who, who tried to do it, who was also a very good Catholic. And so, so I, I tried different things out, but one thing was always clear. If you want things to change, it's not, it's not enough that we say, okay, let's look at the system and then try to, um, um, to follow what the system allows us to do and change within. But rather, I thought we need to reshape our society in a, in a Catholic way. So back to our roots in Austria, for example, those are our roots, as you know. I give you one example. Um, divorce for Catholics was illegal in Austria up to Hitler. Wow. Before Hitler, it was illegal in Austria to get divorced as a Catholic. Wow. Only the Catholic Church was allowed to decide whether your marriage can be annulled or not, but not the state could not interfere, and things like this. And obviously, abortion was illegal and all those important things we want. So I started to be very active in political ways. And my idea was always to found um, um, a movement or an organization or to create something which gives us the possibility to understand, to, have, to get a deeper understanding of the faith on one hand, and on the other hand, to, um, to not hide anymore as Catholics, also if it comes, even if it comes to political topics. One example, in the past when I started to get active, it was very normal that, for example, in the pro-life world here in, in, in Austria at least, or well, not with everybody, but with most of the people, whenever you ask them, why are you against abortion? The first thing they always told you was because it's bad for the women. And they did not tell you because that was their belief, but because they believe they are not allowed to really tell you why they are against abortion. Wow. And then when I started to get friends with lots of those people, I asked them, come on now tell me why are you really against abortion? And all, all of them said, because I think it's wrong because God shows that he wants something and we cannot interfere with his will. So suddenly when you got more friends with those people, they, they, they fully understood that abortion is mainly a problem because it is sin. It is a sin. That's the main problem. Obviously, from sin come tons of tons of different bad outcomes and, and uh, bad, you know, uh, consequences. But the main reason why it's wrong is because it's against the will of God. So I found out that the people have a kind of wall in their head, even if they are faithful, that prevents them from saying the truth. And so my idea was I want to create an organization or let not not per se on the paper, you know, but just in a way of a movement that gives people the possibility as Catholics to stay up. And whatever someone asks you about why you do certain things that you can say, well, I do it because of my faith, if it's true, obviously, if it's true. So this is more or less my, my story and also leads a little bit to why I founded the St. Boniface Institute. And I hope that... I hope that this encourages as many people as possible to do the same because I think even though we Catholics know we should not brag, uh, we should not show off with our faith. And that's a very important rule, by the way. If people ask you, why do you do a certain thing? And the reason why you do it is your faith. But you say another thing. That's not good. Amen. Well, said. Let's, let, let's go back to your, your upbringing. So your dad was a Protestant and you grew up a Protestant. But yeah. he's now a Catholic, you said, right? Yes, my, 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 both my parents and, both, and, and all my sisters. Who, are, who, are was there a person 
or a, or, or a book or, or a lecture or something that, that, that brought this conversion about from your father that transcended to the entire family? <laughs> um, well, it, it, the, I was the first one to convert, you have to know. And, and then and my father was the last one. So it was, I was the first one, then my sister and my mother, then my other sister and then my father. Um, so it was, the, it was a little bit the other way around. But uh, the books, well, actually, to be very honest, the main reason why I started to question the Protestant, um, so-called Protestant faith, was my Protestant teacher at school. We had, I don't know if you have this, but we have religious education in Austrian schools. And so you have to go there. And I had Protestant religious education, it was terrible. And my teacher was so terrible that at the end of his lectures, I thought, this is so wrong. This is suddenly wrong. Wow. And then I had some friends in school, which were Catholic. So I started talking with them about this. And this is when everything started. And then the priest I went to, an oratorian, very good priest, um, gave me a few good books. So for example, from an American named um, um, Professor Scott Hahn. Um, mm-hmm. I do not know how it's called in English, but in German it's called, translated to English. Our Way to Rome. I know that it has a different title in English, but it's about his conversion uh, story, actually. And I read this, and then, obviously, I read good Catholic books <laughs> about, about the Catholic doctrine and, and, and catechisms. I got a, a little children's catechism uh, so for, you, for young children. It was actually quite okay. And then, step by step, I got more into it. And now I own a library of Catholic books <laughs> because I think reading about this is as, is as important than never before. Amazing. Amazing. Hey, I've got a good question for you. Uh, I wanted to know, Alexander, that the time you were, I mean, in your early 20s, mid-20s, when this Pachamama thing was taking place, give us an explanation of what made you make the decision to get on a plane and go to Rome. I mean, come on, that that's just like, it. uh, it's hard to imagine someone said, well, you know, what? I don't, th- I mean, I think you were married at the time, right? I can, I can explain to you very well. So first Please of all, do. I was I was in Rome when the whole thing happened. So oh. I was in Rome in order to watch closely what's go, what's going on with the Amazonian Synod because I was already working gotcha. uh, more or less in a kind of pre-organization I founded before the St. Boniface Institute. Got it. So I was there and I was at a conference and then I was invited to a dinner with friends. Mm-hmm. And we sat at the dinner table, all of us Catholics. Yes. And suddenly this video came up, this Friday, uh, um, the, the first Friday of the Amazonian Synod where this whole Pachamama mm-hmm. ritual in Vatican Gardens uh, happened. Yeah. And so we all watched this video and were so deeply shocked that immediately on this evening, we had two ideas. One idea was because they also planted the tree. And one idea was to just rip down the, rip away this tree because it, it, if, if, if this, if, you know, if a tree is planted for, for uh, anti-Catholic and even, you know, even pagan and more or less even diabolic reasons, then you have to rip it down. But then on the next day, I decided to have a look at this uh, church, um, Santa Maria in Trasmontina, because we heard that they erected something they back then called an Amazonian tent inside the church. So I was in my mind, I, in my head, I had the picture of a tent, you know, in a church. So I went there and it was not a tent, but rather they used the church and just called it a tent in order to yeah. show that they are so connected to whatever South American pseudo-culture they, they, were, uh, they presented to us. It was not, it was not what, I, what I know from South America. Yeah. I know lots of Indian families from there, and they also told me that's not what we do. Wow. So it was, really, it was really a lie. And then I had this talk with a lady there who was more or less in charge of explaining. And she and there, those, those statues, two of them back then, at the yeah. beginning it was only two. 
was standing there right in front of me, like three meters. And I was so angry. I was I didn't not in a you know, not in a um like I, right I, I, angry. I, knew right. I knew why. Yeah. I knew why. And so I said, um, do you know what you do? And she said, Yes, I do. And then I asked her the big question because yeah. back then the main question was, do these people who promote the Pachamama also promote um, that you should not get yourself baptized. That's what was a rumor. So I asked her, what do you think of baptism? Do you think it's necessary? And she said, no, oh we proudly do not do it. She said this. Obviously, I cannot say if she spoke for a bishop there or something, but she spoke for the official organization, REPAM, which organized the rituals. Wow. So she said... No, we do not believe that baptism is necessary. Alexander, wow. let me jump in. This is an amazing story. When we come back from the break, please continue on this, on what took place in Rome with the Pachamama going into the Tiber. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. This is going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and His Church. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back to Terry and Jesse Show. We got Alexander Shugel. He's a contributing author to this new book. It's called Ever Ancient, Ever New. It's put out by 10 books. It is Why Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism. Here's the book. It's called Ever Ancient, Ever New, 10 books, Alexander Sugar, Sugar is story number one. Alexander, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. yeah, tell that story, man. I'm on the edge of my chair here, brother, and everybody else is. Go ahead, Alexander. Okay, so what happened was we knew then that they do not want people to get baptized, and that was actually what was when everyone, everything was clear. So then we continued asking her about the statues she she confirmed to us that those statues, deep, they do depict pagan goddess. They do not depict the Virgin Mary. She said this a few times. Yeah. Obviously, for us, faithful Catholic, it was more or less clear because we saw those pictures. Oh, yeah. and we, we, know, we know Our Lady when we see her. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but still, I wanted it to be confirmed. And then I actually wanted to get rid of those statues already. But my wife told me something very intelligent. She said, before you do such a thing, ask a priest. Ask him if, if, he's, if he thinks that this is good. So I did. I had to go back to Austria. Then I had a few meetings and so on. There's, um, there's some Amazonians in it still continued. And so after I had the time to meet uh, a priest uh, and talk about it in a proper way, he told me, yes, I can do it. I even should do it. So I said, okay, perfect. Went straight to the airport. And the first time in my life bought an airport ticket, an airplane ticket at the airport, because oh my, my generation is not used to do this anymore. We do it we book <laughs> online. So I, so I did this for the first time uh, with a friend of mine, also named Alexander. We both flew there, went to went um, to a friend's place, slept there in the early morning, went up, went to the church when it opened, went inside, took the statues, threw them into the river, um, and, and afterwards did not tell anyone that we were the ones. We put, published a video, obviously, obviously, because we wanted to let the world see that this is done and that people do not accept these pagan things going on if it, in the middle of... Our Holy Mother, the Church. Amen. In and so, um, but then after, in the two weeks after we published it, many people said lies about why we did it and, and also who did it. And so we both decided that it's better if we go public. 
Um, and then I went public because this friend of mine who helped me could not go public out of personal reasons. Um, he's a great man. He's now still helping me with everything and he is, and he is fantastic. And so I went public and before I went public, I decided that I now set the fundament for my new institute, uh, St. Boniface Institute, because I did not want people to think it's about me as a person or about my friend, but rather about, the, you know, about fighting for the faith in general and, and, and supporting tradition and, and Catholic faith worldwide. So that's the story. Fantastic story. And I just want to thank you for doing that for all of us. Amen. Uh, you had millions of people that uh, that are behind you and rallying behind you, and you became a, uh, you became, as they say in America, the people's champion when you, <laughs> when you did that, Alexander. Uh, hey, let me ask Great you a question. So, so you uh, you live right now in Germany or Aust- or Austria? No, in, in Austria. 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 Tell us a little bit about uh, how do the Austrian people feel about what's happening right now, just to, uh, in Ukraine and in Russia over in Europe. Uh, are people returning to church as a result of that? Do you see this uh, turning up people's faith life once again, or are people kind of uh, lukewarm? What, what's what's the general sense of people as a result of what's going on over in uh, Russia and Ukraine? So I have to say that after one and a half years of Corona tyranny, people are already quite upset about what the government does in general. And so obviously the tension was already here when the Ukrainian crisis started. Well, first of all, now it might sound a little bit strange, but it is very difficult to explain how the average European or the average Austrian thinks about the situation in Ukraine. First of all, what you have to understand is that obviously we were watching closely what's happening in the Ukraine over the last 15 and 20 years. I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, the Western part of Ukraine was once part of Austria. So this was once our own country. Wow. We still have lots of connections. I, with my school, we went, we went to Lemberg, which is only a few hundred kilometers away from Vienna. So I, I know exactly what we are talking about. And we all know the Ukraine, actually. It's right behind Hungary for us. So it's Austria and Hungary, and then you have to Ukraine already. So what happens uh, was... Um, that we that that many people understood why Putin reacted the way he did, even though most of us do not like that he did it because obviously we don't want this war to happen and so on. But you have to understand the following situation: after all those fights against the Russians, very fiercely against the Russians, but never against the Chinese, even though the Chinese are way more terrible right now than the Russians were were in the uh, in the in the past years. Or the average European non-leftist already sensed somehow that something is not going in the right direction. And when then um, um, Trump came suddenly and with President Trump in the United States, this whole situation was not a problem anymore because he just started talking to all those different uh, countries and all those different presidents and therefore managed actually to get quite good diplomatic relations, uh, not only from him to them, but also between each other. It was very, very, really a big relief for all of us. And now under the reign of Biden, under a terrible European Union right now, and under, after the Ukrainian president went in front of the cameras in Munich um, one and a half weeks, two weeks ago, one and a half weeks ago, one and a half weeks ago, and gave a speech in which he said, we are now going, we want to introduce um, um, atomic nuclear weapons in the Ukraine Every one of us already knew, okay, if Putin has, wants to, 
do something he now has to do it. Yeah, I get it. That's one aspect. And now the most important aspect on the other side, no one of us likes what's going on there right now. No one of us. No one of us likes seeing rockets being shot at the houses where civilians live. None of us likes to see how this terrible situation now starts. But we have to understand that there's a bigger picture behind it. And the bigger picture is, unfortunately, to see that we now have to officially, officially in the media, choose between two sides. One side is Vladimir Putin, who is by far not a very good Christian, and obviously he's not a Catholic, but at least acts a little bit Christian often, and is obviously doing things right now which we do not support, because it's not good to, to just end a country in a violent way the way he does right now. And on the other hand, you see the woke, leftist, rotten, yep. homosexual marriage, abortion, Europe, and yep. Biden administration. Yep. And now you, people ask you, please choose your sides. Many people would therefore naturally choose the Russian side, even though we all know, we as Catholics, those are not our choices. Our choice is a bigger choice. Our choice is, do we want to follow God or not? Amen. And if Amen. I now try to follow what God's, um, God told us in, in the, his, his holy, holy Gospel and in the Holy Bible, and in general through his saints and through the church uh, during the last 2,000 years, we understand very clearly that what the EU and Biden are doing is very bad. What Russia is doing right now is understandable, but also not, not necessarily good. And supporting um, the president of Ukraine as if he would be a hero is also wrong. So we would need another situation where we can have a neutral zone being erected that actually allows us to have diplomatic relationships with all those people. And that's very difficult to say. But I tell you very honestly, among the faithful Catholics, all around Europe, I talked to so many the last one and a half weeks, most of them shared this point of view. So just for you to understand, unfortunately, the crisis is not a crisis which um, shows clearly that people return more to the faith than they've been before. That's unfortunately not happening. But during the corona times, that actually happened. Good. So God, God gives us always the possibility to do what is right, also in those terrible situations. And I think what we have to do is Take the Ukraine in our prayers every day. Amen. Yeah, amen. And obviously, and all the involved people as well. Yep. Alexander, let me just go back to, we can talk about this forever, but I also want to bring back your faith, your personal faith. I want to ask, can you share with our listeners some of your favorite, you know, traditional devotions? I mean, is it St. Joseph? Is it the little flower? And, you know, give us your, your spirituality, brother. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a very good question, actually. So first of all, um, I have to say that when I converted, yeah. it took me some time to 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 learn about those devotions and to um, to to see them in the way um, a, a faithful would see them. And what the what the first thing was, which uh, I understood clearly, was actually my devotion to Michael the Archangel. Aha. It is it is very interesting to understand as a German speaker, and obviously I'm Austrian, but we are German people more or less. It is, uh, um, I don't know if you know, but since um, actually this year, 1,000 years, uh -huh. exactly 1,000 years, the 8th of May in the year 1022, Henry II uh, went to Gargano, which is a very famous uh, pilgrimage place to St. Michael in Italy, mm -hmm. and said and offered the German people and said, please, Michael, watch the German people. 
And after that, a reign of Michael started more or less when during the medieval times, St. Michael was often on, on lots of medieval churches depicted in order to show us that uh, being fully obedient to God himself actually gives us most power over the enemy. Amen. This is what we need. So we want to have to follow God in order to uh, gain power over our enemy, which uh, who is the devil. So that's the first devotion I actually found. So praying the prayer to St. Michael very, very regularly, many times a day, actually, and so on. Then the second devotion, which obviously came up in my life, but as you see, it was actually not the first one, and I will explain to you later, yeah. was um, the praying the rosary. The rosary is, I think, the most one of the most important prayers ever, if not the most important prayer next to Holy Mass prayers. Amen. For us as lay people, right. we could pray, given to us directly by our Holy Lady or the Mother of God, um, which, uh, or Blessed Lady, I think you will say in English, um, which, um, and, and for me, it took a few, a little bit of time to understand the rosary, as the rosary is something we di we see everywhere in Austria still. So if you go to every old parish church, you see old people praying the rosary still. So this is something which survived from the Catholic heritage of my country. And I have to say, therefore, it was for me something old people do. And it was a little bit kitschy, as we could say. But <laughs> then I understood suddenly that's complete nonsense. And I, it was just my the cliches which struck me down. And then I went praying it myself and suddenly, immediately, I immediately understood. And now we organize every week public rosary processions through Vienna and through more than 300 cities in all of Austria. I love it. They're going to take a quick break. We got Alexander here talking about his devotion to our Blessed Mother. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Get the book. It's called Ever Ancient, <laughs> Ever News, put out by 10 books. Uh, chapter 1, Story 1 is Alexander Shugel. The book is called Why Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism. Why Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism. We're back with Alexander Shugel, all the way from the other side of the world. Alexander, <laughs> as you were saying, talking about your uh, discovery of the rosary and the way you're now leading rosary processions out it. in your country. Tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so we started the rosary processions uh, already more or less two years ago, doing them every week now. We start every second week now, it's every week. We always meet in front of a public image of Our Lady. In our case, we normally meet in front of a certain church in Vienna where you have a very nice public statue of Our Lady on the outside. And then I, I say a few words about what we pray for today, our intentions, and then we just start, pray the rosary publicly, do a little procession to another church in Vienna. And I don't know if you've ever been to Vienna, but Vienna is beautiful. It has hundreds of churches and we are a really old Catholic city with tons of Catholic monasteries. Mm. Uh, actually, the second biggest um, 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 how can I say the second most holy masses celebrated in the world within one city is Vienna after Rome wow. now some people say maybe, maybe Mexico City is second but uh, now it, uh, but Vienna is actually one of the top cities to be as a Catholic so what happened was you asked me about the devotion so I said that without um, Our Lady nothing is possible and the rosary is the best prayer to her but what I do not want to miss actually is, I don't know if you're aware of it, but my family origins from Tyrol, which is a very beautiful part of Austria. And in Tyrol, uh, 200 years ago, when the French Revolution um, um, already was more or less finished and Napoleon tried to rule the whole, all of Europe, 
Napoleon um, and the Bavarians went together and the Bavarians betrayed the rest of the Holy Roman Empire by accepting, uh, accepting Napoleon's um, offer to make them kings and give them tons of money in order uh, to, for them to join them. So what they did is they invaded um, Tyrol in his name and forbid every public Catholic um, life. And Tyrol was the most public Catholic country in Austria. So we all since then have devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus because the Tyrolians swear to the Sacred Heart of Jesus that, and they always repeat this where once a year, the, the, it's still repeated, that by the Sacred Heart of Jesus, they will not accept Tyrol being ruled by, um, by, by anti-Catholics, actually. And so, as you see here, we always have a picture of a Sacred Heart of Jesus everywhere, and it's, it's a big part of our devotion. Yeah, and then, I don't want to call it a devotion. I would like to call it a really normal aspect of my life, but as you both know, it's really more than normal, going to Holy Mass, going to traditional Holy Mass. This is what really, really changed my whole life upside down. <laughs> I mean upside down. So I was obviously, as every young boy without Catholic faith, I was going uh, the wrong paths. And the church helped me. And the part of the church which helped me the most was understanding that Jesus Christ is present in the most holy Eucharist and that Holy Mass is really really um, Golgotha happening, the resurrection happening, Amen. last happening, all those things, all life of Jesus happening in front of our eyes. And in a traditional form, this is so clear that I cannot understand how anyone who attends the traditional mass for more than a few times and who comes to the point where he suddenly understands can actually turn away from the faith uh, if it's not Satan himself pulling him out. We all do our mistakes. That's one thing. But if you want understood it, you cannot continue the lies everyone says right now about what the what the Catholic Church is and so on. And when they all talk bad about it, go to Holy Mass, go to traditional Holy Mass, kneel down in front of our Lord, and you will see the beauty, the perfection, and the, the greatness. It's, it's amazing for me. I would not like to call it a devotion because it's my life. But it is obviously something I'm very devoted to. Uh, Alexander, give give me a, like a a, a clear uh, point of understanding where you transitioned from the Novus Ordo Mass, which came from you know 1970 to the present moment, to the traditional Mass. Because obviously you you weren't born and raised in the traditional Mass. No. Uh, you're 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 a young man. So what was the point where you saw something more attractive in the Latin mass versus growing up in the Novus Ordo mass. What was it? Very easy. It's hundred percent. It's not 90%. It's not 80%. It's not 70%. Or as some, sorry to say, so clownish priests try to fully destroy it. And that's even only 10%. The Holy mass is the most holy thing we can imagine on earth so that this happens so that Christ is present um, uh, not only, not only, please, you understand me, right? Not only in his, in, in by being present in the, in the Holy Eucharist, but also by presenting to us his whole life on earth and his suffering and his ascension to heaven and all those things. Um, it's the perfect sacrifice. It's the most perfect sacrifice. 
why should I want this sacrifice to be not perfect? So why should I now go ahead and embrace a liturgical, and in my eyes, it's an abuse. It's not not valid. I'm, I'm very sure that this is valid because God loves us, actually. And I know many people, myself, for example, who came to the Catholic Church and saw the Novus Automas at the beginning. So it's not that God doesn't allow good things still to happen. He loves us. But why should I decide to do something which has was stripped of all the deep rituals, all the prayers and so on, just for the sake of modern zeitgeist, if I can also join the traditional form, which was the handed down to us from the first century to now. And as you all know, people who li like to call it the Trinity Mass, and it's not wrong, obviously, because the last council which, which, um, which, which declared how it has to be celebrated was at the end. But if you know a little bit about this council, the council did not change the Mass. The council just said, the church is already so big. Look at all those diff uh, different details. We now want to once publish the book so that people know this is what Holy Mass looks like. They did not say, now we're going to change it. Or they did not ask a bishop, say, well, bishop, go to your desk, please, and write us a new prayer for this because this is too old-fashioned. Those things did not happen. So it's handed down for 2,000 years. And someone tells me I should accept um, only going to a Mass which was created by a very bad bishop on his own desk after destroying Holy Week already and then continuing destroying all the religious orders. And he was one of those guys doing this and so on. And being more or less very openly friends with lots of Freemasons and all those things. Alexander I know God makes miracles. Yeah. Also in Novosmata, please don't get me wrong. Yeah. But this is the reason why I decided to go there and I got do it. it. Understood. Alexander, let me just ask a quick question about encouraging Catholics in general. What line of action would you give to just the hoi polloi? I'm not talking about the hierarchy. You're not in management. You're in sales. So in other words, how do you, what, what advice would you give to the Catholic who's just trying to live their faith? Go ahead. Yes. Very easy. First of all, try to erect a home altar. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's very important to shape your life. Yep. Second of all, be a missionary. Yep. Stop saying things like, it would be so good if the bishops would be better. The bishops are the bishops you get right now. Yep. Be a missionary yourself. Work together with priests. Send your friends to good priests. Bring them to catechesis. And third of all, do the consecration to Our Lady by Ludwig Maria Grignon de Montfort. Yep. It is fantastic. Read the Imitation of Christ and all those things. And then one last thing, pray the rosary daily if possible. This is really necessary. Try to um, try to reestablish good connections with your family if you do not have them anymore. It's very crucial. And try to do at least one thing a month for the unborn children. Well said. I just wanted to add one more thing that is the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Yeah, yeah. Visits to the Blessed Sacrament. I'm sure you would yes. say that's essential for Yeah, us. obviously, obviously. Yes, sir. Let me ask you one more question, Alexander. If, if you could have a conversation with a progressive modernist Catholic <laughs> who disagreed with your actions during the Amazon Synod, what would you say to them? I mean, what if they say, Alexander, can't we just baptize the Pachamama statues into the Catholic faith? What would you say to them? <laughs> That's funny. I had tons of those conversations, and I can tell you what I said to them. <laughs> so so they, if, if you think... Then you, that you can baptize a demon, then you're wrong. If you think that you can baptize the wooden statue, you're also wrong. 
Why should I do this? And third of all, if there are out there Indians who believe that Pachamama is a goddess and they bow down in front of her and, 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 and honor her and so on, that might be a thing, but it's not good. Then we should be missionaries to those people. Those peoples are not evil just because they do it. They might not know about the Catholic faith. Uh, well, nowadays it's a little bit strange, but, but, but let's say they don't know about it. So then be a missionary. Why would you reject? Why would you um, um, take away the right of those people to go to confession, for example? Why do you want to take away the right of those people to kneel down in front of our Lord and Savior instead of kneeling down in front of a pagan demon? Great question. Would, what kind of person wants this? And then normally, just for, for you, most of the leftists I had this conversation with, uh, with asked, answered me, well, I do not think that this is the case because it's just a wooden statue. Then obviously the next question is, have you ever read the first commandment? <laughs> when the first commandment says, um, first of all, you know, I'm the God, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, and so on. Then it says, do not kneel down, bow down in front. Do not bow down to wooden idols. It says even wooden in the, in the catechism. So, uh, so at the end of the day, there is no argument for doing this. There is an argument for honoring, honoring um, the people's history in a way, so for example, it can be good to find out, okay, those people understand if they do it in the way. They have a mother figure, more or less, it's good because that shows already that they actually understand the concept of motherhood in a divine way, so that maybe it's easier to show them the Blessed Virgin. But you have to show them bless, the Blessed Virgin. If you don't do it, then they do something wrong. They, uh, they, they venerate a perverted version of the Blessed Virgin. Can't be right. Alexander, we've got to have you back again, brother. You're my, you're, we've got a mother from, well, yeah, I was just going to say, you're, you are fantastic in the sense of inspiring Catholics to take action in their faith. And I really want to have you back again. Would you be willing to come back another time, brother? Thank you very much for the invitation. Yes. You're a good man. You know how we end our show, Alexander? I asked Jesse, what state should we be living in, Jesse? we got to live in a state of sanctifying grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. we got to get holy or die trying. Pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day. Try to get to Holy Mass as often as possible. Terry, take it away. Remember Our Lady said at Fatima, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray for them. Are you willing to make sacrifices? I am, and I hope you will too because there's going to be some major surprises when we reach our exit interview. Let's implement the Fatima peace plan now. May God richly bless you. Up next, Dr. Let's see, who's next? Oh, Bishop Strickland is next. Our own Bishop Strickland, that's Terry, we're going to have him on to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus and his church. God love you.